Well, do you remember what it was like the first time you had to read Shakespeare? I mean, it's probably for school, right? And here in BC, well, it was probably Macbeth or Hamlet. I remember thinking in grade eight reading Macbeth, what is this? Like, how am I supposed to figure out what is going on here? Well, the study of deciphering works like Shakespeare continues today and with some technological help, actually. I mean, where was that when I needed it? It's an area of study called historical corpus linguistics, and we're going to learn more about it from our next guest. It's Dr. Jonathan Culpepper, a professor and head of the Department of English Language at Lancaster University. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. What is historical corpus linguistics? Um, it, well, in some ways, you can think of it a bit like uh, taking an aerial uh, photograph. You, you might not see a path through a field uh, when you're down on the ground, but if, when you're up above, uh, all these regular part, uh, routes that people take in their walks, you can see the path emerge across the field. Historical corpus linguistics and corpus linguistics in general is a bit like that. You take masses and masses uh, of language data, text, uh, in electronic form, and, and you get your computer to look through uh, the language patterns and find the, thing, the subtle patterns that we, we really couldn't see uh, otherwise. And, and that's really what it does. It spots these patterns, what tends to go with what, and all that kind of thing, and can reveal shades of meaning and all sorts of nuances. That's what it's about, really. You're telling me that after all this time, hundreds of years of people closely studying Shakespeare, something like Shakespeare, there are still things that we can learn? Yeah, there absolutely are. There, there are loads of things that uh, but we haven't actually seen yet. Partly because I, I always think people have concentrated on looking just within Shakespeare. Even in the, the magnificent Oxford English Dictionary, uh, that's mostly informed. The biggest uh, contributor to that is Shakespeare. It's all a bit circular. And, and in my view, if you use uh, computers and electronic text, you can look beyond Shakespeare and you look at what words are meaning in that period as well as in Shakespeare. Uh, and that gives you uh, much more uh, of a handle on what was going on at that time. Okay, so what are some of the new clues? Like, what are we learning I mean, there, there are a whole load of things. So, for example, um, one that uh, initially surprised me uh, was the word uh, bastard. I hope it's okay to say that in this program. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but <laughs> but, but um, today we think of it as a term of abuse. Um, that's what springs to mind. Um, and I, I remember uh, finding um, that actually the most frequent use of that word is to describe flowers. Um, it's it's a, it's a botanical word, a botanical word used in technical works describing a hybrid uh, uh, plant, basically. Um, and and the, the, the idea of having um, different genetic uh, uh, heritage coming together in a hybrid form, that's what Bastard meant. Uh, and it got extended uh, to people uh, and then developed into uh, a term of abuse. In Shakespeare's time, there was a hint of the term of abuse, but it wasn't the main thing. So uh, in King Lear, when it's used, it's much more damaging. It's not just a casual term of abuse. It's, it's saying this person uh, really is uh, fundamentally suspect because they're a bastard, they're hybrid genetically. That's what it's saying. Is, is it possible then, are we learning that perhaps something like Shakespeare using it, he used it, I seem to think, in, in several works, right? Like... It was in Much Ado About Nothing. 
Um, you mentioned it as well as in King Lear. So was his use of it the way that it was popularized in the way that we know it now? um, Yes, well, you're right. There is a hint of that going on there because he is using it in in an abusive fashion. But the second you start, you take the tentacle word for something that's genetically hybrid and you start using it of a person and you can see how very rapidly it develops uh, a negative tinge that eventually today takes it over. Um, I mean, this, this happens right there. I mean, another, this, let's take a more pleasant word, uh, dotage. Um, dotage, uh, when I use it, I, I use it in a jokey fashion, uh, you know, wh- when I'm in my dotage, meaning some sort of state of old age. Um, uh, and it's perfectly positive and nice and all the rest of it, but it's a state of old age. Back then, dotage was also positive, but it was very much to do with being in love. And if you think of um, doting on people... Uh, you can see how dotage is related to that, uh, that notion of being in love. It did not mean a state of old age. Uh, and so what's happened with that word is it's, it's, it's sort of slipped across over the years just to mean a state of old age. Still quite positive, fortunately. Um, but it's, it's that. Sort of, and what, what we can do with our techniques is track all those associations. It's like playing um, a word association game. We can look at what things occur with. Uh, with computers, so it's very grounded, and we can tease out those little nuances in that way. Hmm. So why is it so important to do this kind of work? I, I, I think um, it's, in some ways it is getting a better handle on Shakespeare uh, than previous. Previous stuff has been very good, but I think it's, as I say, partly it's circular, but all, uh, and so we've, we've been able to tap into the wider nuances of the time, but you can begin to answer questions that uh, really we've never tackled before. So there's been a lot said about um, did Shakespeare create this particular word or that particular word? And normally thousands of, you know, the numbers of, are huge, apparently. Um, and uh, we've been trying to get to grips with that using the same methods, using computers to go through. Um, actually, we went through 360 million words uh, of uh, language around Shakespeare's time looking for uh, whether we could find earlier cases uh, of particular words. And I think we've been able to nail this in a much um, more precise fashion than, than, than all the sort of pumping up we've, we've ha- had before about Shakespeare. You know, it, it's a reality check. Um, so, so we've been able to establish, for example, that you know, words like ear piercing, um, which we take, you know, it's a very common expression today. Mm-hmm. But that seems to have been... That's a, first occurred in Shakespeare, uh, we can't find an earlier one uh, of that. Or we have the more mundane, I, we, we found that roadway uh, seems to be <laughs> the first uh, in Shakespeare. Now, I doubt whether Shakespeare coined that. That probably was around at the time, and he just happened to have recorded it, be the first one, you know, to have that recording of it, and it survived. Um, so, but, but, you know, it's enabled us to, to tackle some of these questions that hitherto people haven't really had addressed properly. Well, thanks for explaining it to us this morning. We appreciate it. Pleasure. That's Dr. Jonathan Culpepper, professor and head of the Department of English Language at Linguistics and Linguistics at Lancaster University. New way of looking at Shakespeare. It also amazes me that you know, hundreds of years later, we are still studying and learning things about these texts that are hundreds of years old.